like to take our attention today to the book of Judges. And I'm going to be reading here seven verses in chapter 12. I'm going to read today from the New Living Translation and reason I, I don't normally read from this translation, but sometimes I do. It is a thought-for-thought translation, and the book of Judges is one of those books that is very heavy with very, uh, very thick and hard to get through King's English. So I'm going to try to make it easy on you, and I don't think we'll do any damage to the message in doing that so that we can grab the main points here in a more modern vernacular. Is that okay? Shout amen. Amen. So the book of Judges chapter 12 and we'll begin reading here in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then the people of Ephraim mobilized an army and crossed over the Jordan River to Zaphron. They sent this message to Jephthah, Why didn't you call us, call for us to help you fight against the Ammonites? We're going to burn down your house with you in it. Sounds like an overreaction to me. Jephthah replied, I summoned you at the beginning of the dispute, but you refused to come. You failed to help us in our struggle against Ammon. So when I realized you weren't coming, I risked my life and went to battle without you. And the Lord gave me victory over the Ammonites. So why have you now come to fight me? The people of Ephraim responded, You men of Gilead are nothing more than fugitives from Ephraim and Manasseh. So Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and attacked the men of Ephraim and defeated them. Jephthah captured the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And whenever a fugitive from Ephraim tried to go back across, the men of Gilead would challenge him. Are you a member of the tribe of Ephraim? They would ask. If the man said, no, I'm not, they would tell him to say Shibboleth. If he was from Ephraim, he would say Sibboleth. Because people from Ephraim cannot pronounce the word correctly. Then they would take him and kill him at the shallow crossings of the Jordan. In all, 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Jephthah judged Israel for six years when he died. He was buried in one of the towns of Gilead. Today I want to talk to us about the greatest of idols. Would you bow your head and, and pray with me a blessing from the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house with your people. And God, I ask for your help right now that you would give me anointing, help me to speak your word unreservedly. Help us all, O oh Jesus, to mix our faith with that word, to grow in you, Lord, to receive from you. Help us, O oh Jesus, today I pray in your mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 When the children of Israel came across the Jordan and inhabited the land of promise, the land of Canaan, there were 12 tribes. But there's a little trick here. You see, one tribe 
forfeited the right to own any land because they were called to, be, to the priesthood. That was the Levites. Jacob had 12 sons. These are the 12 tribes of Israel, except one did not inherit land. He had to share that land and serve the people. He might be able to lease land. He might be able to possess it temporarily. But as a tribe, the Levites did not possess any land. Yet, there were still 12 tribes that came over. You have to read all the way back in the book of Genesis to understand this. That because of Joseph, that outcast brother, having done nothing wrong, but yet saving his people and growing to, next to Pharaoh, the greatest power in Egypt. And all that he had done for his people in helping them in, in, in preparing for the famine that was coming. And all that he did, he received a double portion. He received a double blessing. And that was given to his two sons. The one named Ephraim and the one named Manasseh. So we fast forward after many, many years. Moses has brought the children up to the land of promise, and Joshua brings them in. And now in the book of Judges, they are possessing the land. And instead of the tribe of Joseph, you have the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. From that tribe, Ephraim, there was family, Gilead, the leader of that family. And he was, let's say, blessed and had much. And as someone who is blessed and has much, as it often happens, he stepped out of line, did some things maybe he shouldn't quite have, wasn't the most evil of men, but wasn't the most righteous of men. And he had a son in an illegitimate relationship with a woman he was not married to. And as that son grew with the family, the other brothers and the other mothers said, you will not possess inheritance that's entitled to us. You're from an unknown woman, and so we cast you out. His name was Jephthah. In the process of time, Ephraim, and other tribes of Israel fell deep into sin, into idolatry, into disobedience to the Lord. And they said to themselves, it's because of our sin. We must cast away from us foreign gods. We must cast away from us idols. We must get rid of, of serving these false gods from the Canaanites or from surrounding territories. But Ammon's pressure was still there. Ammon came and was possessing them and oppressing them. Ammon's strong hand was against them. And no one would stand up and fight. It's amazing how much we are willing to put up with because we just don't want to fight. You know, I mean, sometimes it might seem understandable like a young child in, in grade school who's getting picked on, you know. 
He doesn't feel like he can stand up to the bully. He doesn't feel like he's strong enough. He doesn't feel like he's big enough. He doesn't feel like he's got what it takes. He's afraid that bully's going to pick him up, turn him upside down, and slam him on the ground. But if you want the bully to stop, how many know you've got to slug the bully in the face? Come what may, if you lose the battle, you're going to get pushed around if you don't just haul off and put him in his place. It's just what has to happen. And they looked around them, the tribe of Ephraim, and they looked around them, the family of Gilead, and they looked around all, all over and they said, there's no one here to lead us. Hey, I got an idea. You remember that guy we didn't like? Jephthah. Oh, yeah, good old Jephthah, that jerk that wanted to possess our inheritance. I heard he ran off to the city of Tob. So they went to Jephthah, and they said, will you lead us? He says, let me get this straight. You guys want to have nothing to do with me, but now you're asking me to fight for you. He says, yes, yes, in fact, we're willing to, to give you great honor and great treasure and that inheritance we we wouldn't let you have, and you can live in the city of your father and, and his place. And he says, well, all right. All right. And so he comes back across the mountains, back to the place of his father, gathers up armies, calls for the aid of the, the tribes around him, and leads these people against the armies of Ammon. And it is a decisive victory. It is not questionable. It is not drawn out. He defeats Ammon with a mighty hand. He says, all right, time to go home and enjoy the spoils of war. I've been away from my inheritance. I've been away from what I'm entitled to. I've, you know, uh, it wasn't my fault what my dad, my mom did. And now I'm ready to go and inherit after a long labor and long waiting. So he goes back to the city of Zephon. And not long after he was there, Ephraim came a-knocking. Hey, Jephthah, who do you think you are? You're nothing but, but, but a, a, an outcast from Ephraim. You think you can have your own tribe? You think you can have your own land and have, have your own thing here? You went and fought, and you, you fought without us. How dare you? It's amazing how everyone finds their courage once the battle's over. And you know, when this story is preached from, this passage is preached from, I don't think most people take the time to mention and to recognize the fact that Ephraim and Gilead or Ephraim and Jephthah, they weren't opposing nations. This was all the children of Israel. This wasn't opposing nations. It was opposing families, opposing tribes. It was a civil war. How dare you go and beat the enemy that was oppressing us? Hmm. 
makes you wonder. It's funny how people in the church sometimes are better at fighting the church than they are the enemy. I don't know if everyone heard that, so I want to try to rain, uh, cloud up and rain again. I say it's funny how some people are better at fighting the people they sit across the pew from than, than the enemy that's out there, than the spirit of the world, than the spirit of darkness, than, than the devil himself. They'd rather take and waste their time gossiping about people in the church than they would praying for the help of heaven to battle, to do battle when they're outside of the church. Yes. So Jephthah says, look, <laughs> I, I, I gave you a chance to come and fight, but you said no, so I just, I, I was fighting for my inheritance here. I'm fighting for my life here. I'm fighting so I can have something here. You guys didn't want to come, so I just fought without you. Shouldn't be no big deal. In fact, if you want to know the truth, I was so, so dedicated to getting back into Israel. I was so dedicated to getting back into the tribe. I told the Lord I would sacrifice the first thing I saw when I got back home. I would sacrifice it to him. And you know what came and greeted me after I won the victory? It was my daughter. Now, when we read that story of Jephthah, it, it may make us think that he offered her as a burnt sacrifice, but probably that wasn't really what happened. She went away. She asked for permission to go and mourn her virginity. She was not permitted to be given in marriage, really, is what probably happened. It was the symbol or the parallel of a burnt sacrifice. She was not allowed to progenerate the family line, which is so very significant because this rejected man had but one child, this one daughter. So Jephthah had sacrificed everything, a progeny, a future for his family, just to win the day for people that had rejected him. That's why the Bible calls him a mighty man of valor. That's why the Bible mentions Jephthah in the hall of faith. Because great were his deeds. Mighty was his stand against Ammon. Courageous was he in battle. And then the cowards came. I want to express a point here that, that I hope won't be missed. Because my title today is The Greatest of Idols, but I seemingly haven't mentioned much about idols yet, except for, except for the idols that Ephraim had already dismissed from their sight. You read the story, they've already decided, hey, uh, Amon is on top of us. We've got to get rid of these idols. Surely it's the judgment of the Lord. Surely it, it's him that, that we're displeasing. And we've got to get rid of all of these idols. Amen? They've already gotten rid of them. And then Jephthah rises. So why the conflict? Because, folks, the greatest of idols is not a statue that you would bow to and pray to. The greatest of idols is the pride we carry in our own heart. 
The greatest enemy, the greatest idol you will face in your walk with God is you, your, your ideas, your persuasions, your thoughts and your patterns, your habits. The greatest enemy of you is you. And while Amon had thrown away all of these little statues made of wood and stone and whatever else, they did not conquer the idolatry that was in their own heart. The Bible speaks to us in the book of Daniel. After seeing an amazing dream and receiving the interpretation of it from the prophet Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar builds the world's largest golden statue, a statue of himself, 90 feet tall. Now, if you walked 90 feet in distance, it wouldn't seem like that much, would it? But I want you to, to realize that this church, from the lowest point of the foundation to the highest peak, isn't 40 feet. So more than double the height of our church did this statue stand in an era that there were no skyscrapers. Out in the desert, covered in gold. Boy, could you, I imagine, see that from a long way off. Here's me. Look at me, everybody. Look at me, says Nebuchadnezzar. This great idol I have built. And he tells the nation, when you hear the music strike up, it's time to bow to that image made of gold. But you know the story and how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow before the idol made of gold and were cast into the fiery furnace. This is the kind of idolatry we normally think of when we hear the word idol or idolatry. We, we think of, of this, um, this idea that really that doesn't even exist hardly in our world anymore, that, that we would carve an image and, and bow before it and pray before it. But not a lot of attention is given to, to how many hours we sit in front of our television. We may not be praying to it, but it sure does have our attention. It's awfully quiet in here. Yeah, we don't give a whole lot of thought, a lot of us, to how many hours we spent on our, our phone this last week. And we may not pray to that phone, but it sure has our attention, doesn't it? Amen. And when the music strikes up, we bow once more. What do you mean? I mean, when it rings, it gets our attention. And we answer it because heaven knows we couldn't possibly wait to take the call or to respond to the message or to just ignore it for a day. You ever wonder what life would be like without those things? I mean, it wasn't all that long ago we didn't even have them in our life. 
But the greatest of the idols is not the device itself. Can I get a witness? The greatest idol is within our own heart. The persuasion that this is so important. My life and what I've got going on is so important. I don't have time to bow before the Lord. I don't have time to submit myself to his will. I don't have time to to get engaged in the battle of the ages. But I can sure tell you what's wrong in your life. I, I sure can sit across and be quiet and worship and, and not really get engaged. And I can point out everything wrong in everyone else's life. Just ask me. I can just tell you everything that's wrong with everybody else. It's amazing. It's amazing how many times I've experienced this, this very thing in this very church. When it's time to serve and it's time to work and it's time to pray and it's time to get busy. I got something going on. I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too young. I've got this going on and I've got that going on. But then, oh, you try to enjoy what you have done, what you have accomplished, and people are just so upset about the way things are going. You know, you didn't, you didn't fight that battle the right way. You didn't have the right clothes on when you fought that battle You didn't invite the right people. You didn't say the right prayer. You didn't say it the right way. I wasn't there. How does it even count? Oh, I wish I had a witness here today. I don't know. It's like someone once said, if it's tight, it must be right. There must be a reason I'm preaching on this subject today. You know, when, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness... He didn't bring to him an idol made of gold, did he? Are you with me now? He didn't say, oh, this will really tempt Jesus if I make a statue out of stone or wood or gold. This will really tempt him. He offered him the whole world, the pride of life. Is going to be your greatest idol. Your opinions, your thoughts, your objections to the people in the church, not out of the church. Are you hearing me yet? Faithful saints of the Lord, are you hearing me yet? That that the objections you have against your brother, your sister... They need to fade away. You need to have faith that God can take care of what is imperfect in their life. Hello? You need to have faith that God will help correct them, that God will will come into their life and speak to them and guide them and lead them. You know, I I, I don't think in in searching Scripture and searching the New Testament, I don't find in in any of the... uh, uh, 
fivefold ministry, um, the, the, the church gossip ministry. I don't find in, in that, that, you know, that list that Paul gives of, of helps and administration, I don't find the weekly fault finder. And you think that you're helping everybody else out by judging them, even if you're not speaking it, and you're not realizing what you're doing is creating an idol of your own ideas and your own self-interest and your own pride. And God is saying, hey, there's a real enemy out there. There's a real enemy on the other side of the river. There's a real enemy that, that's, that's uh, being uh, influenced by the devil himself. Hello. Did he say, take unto you the shield of faith whereby you will be able to beat your brother and sister over the head? No, it's to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Not of the people of faith. It's to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, of, of the things that are attacking the church. And the things that are attacking the church, folks, is a culture and a time and an era that is untoward God, that wants to have nothing to do with the word of the Lord, that doesn't want to even hear the name Jesus, that would rather uh, spend an hour in the house of ill repute than they would uh, on, a, on a church pew. Can I get a witness right now that the enemy of your soul is not your brother and sister, in the Lord it is the tempter of your soul it is the one that comes and lies to you at night and when you cast away from yourself every idol except for the greatest one in your heart you still fail And can I tell you, if, if you're not willing to fight the right battle, if, if you're willing to fight your brother and your sister, but, but you're not willing to fight the, the battle that matters, you are not saved. How dare you say that? Well, it's because you're a coward. How dare you say that? Well, I just did. Deal with it. And I hope you do deal with it because the book of Revelation is quite clear. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You mean that God equates cowards with murderers? Yeah, that's what he said. Oh, yeah, you can put a show on of self-righteousness. You can put a show on of how someone else came to God wrong. And you, can, you can put a show on about how, how they didn't do it the right way so it doesn't count. Fact of the matter is you didn't show up to fight the battle. You're a coward. 
And cowardice is something that from the pulpits of America doesn't get preached about enough. There is coming a time, there is coming a day and an hour appointed by the Lord towards the end of all things you will not be permitted to buy or sell save you take the mark of the beast coming a time where you will not be able to be allowed in polite society unless you bow to the image of the beast I feel like I've read that somewhere oh yeah we get types and shadows in the Old Testament don't we and we just read it today how Nebuchadnezzar made himself a 90-foot statue of gold, yet it will happen again. And if you don't bow when the world says bow, what might they do to you? Can I read it to you again? The cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. Cowardly? I'm just as bad as a sorcerer, those who are diviners, those who would call upon the dead. Yes, yeah, what it says. And all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Can we not take courage, church, in the promises of the Lord? Oh, it's awful quiet. Can we not take courage? solace and confidence in what he has given us in what he has done for us is his sacrifice not great enough is calvary not important enough is the holy ghost and fire not strong enough to overcome anything and everything in this world can i tell you one more time yes take unto you the whole armor of god that you might be able to stand in that evil day that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy the wiles of the devil that you might be able to stand with confidence knowing who your god is and not worried about what your brother or sister think that you have a prayer life of your own not endorsed by your brother and your sister not endorsed by anyone else you have a prayer life and a fasting life and a, a happy of study and an attitude unto the Lord that it's a relationship cultivated by you and you alone. Because you've done more than just get rid of physical idols, you've cast down the greatest idol of all, the pride in your own heart. The pride in your own heart. The pride in your own heart that somehow You've got the answer when no one else does. Now it's like these Christians who, uh, you know, just refuse to take a stand against all the sexual immorality in the world, all the gender-bending nonsense that's going on, you know, trying to force us to endorse everything that's going on. Well, you wouldn't want to offend them, would you? You'd want to be able to still have the chance to, to witness to them, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't, isn't that what Jesus would do? Doesn't Jesus love them? Yeah, and whom he loves, he chastens. And whom he loves, he doesn't withhold the truth. And whom he loves, like Peter, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. 
but it's become a contagion among Christian churches. They challenge themselves not to be obedient to the word of God. They challenge themselves to be nicer than God. They'll have church service and invite some transsexual to come in and, and, and talk for a little bit. We have to all put on a show about how we accept them and love them and clap for them. That is despicable. That is abhorrent. And we're lucky that God doesn't bring down fire and brimstone on such a church in the moment that they do it. But shh, oh, don't say anything. We don't want to offend anybody. Can I read it to you one more time? But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. You better stand up against evil. You better stand up against uncleanliness, unrighteousness. That's the battle. That's the battle. Because we can go to Scripture where Jesus was in church and he was so displeased with everyone there that he took out a whip and started throwing tables over. Or do I have a witness in the house today that the greatest of these issues is, is not the journey of your brother and sister? If their face is pointed towards the cross, if their heart is pointed towards Jesus, you walk with them. You pray with them. You undergird them with strength and with prayer and with hope and with friendship and with encouragement. And you fight the enemy, the real enemy, the tempter of your soul, the one who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And what shall I say more? The writer of Hebrews goes on in chapter 11, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and Jephthah, Also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. These are not the stories of cowards. These are not the stories of idolaters. These are the stories of men and women who cast down every vain imagination, who sacrificed everything they could to please the Lord. Would you stand with me today? As we come to a close, would you raise your hands towards heaven? Would you ask the Lord to help you? Would you ask him to search your mind, your heart, your soul. Anything and everything untoward him. Ask him to cast it out. Ask him to cast it down. Give occasion, Lord, then I could submit myself totally to you. Give me, O oh Jesus, opportunity 
to submit myself all the more. I might think I'm saved already, but I know it's not given to the quick. The race is not given to the quick, but to the one which endures to the end. If our musicians would come, we're going to have a song. The race is not given to the swift. It is given to he that endures to the end. As Paul once wrote about the Christian life, he says, it's not as though I've attained this perfection. It's not as though I have already attained this great calling. But I just, I press towards that mark. I press every day toward that mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. I'm not there. I'll never get there until I'm on the other side. I'll never get there until he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. What is important is not attaining some golden ticket here in the present. What is important is every day you press towards the mark. Every day you die daily to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every day you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Every day you remind yourself there's nothing good in me except Jesus Christ. There's nothing good about me except the Holy Ghost and His salvation. There's nothing good in me. When we fail to do that, we resurrect that great idol of pride, of self-righteousness. We resurrect it and put it in front of a Savior that died on a cross. So as we sing, would you speak to the Lord again? And ask Him one more time, Lord, search my soul. Let me cast down every vain imagination. Let me cast out every bit of pride in my life and walk with you in patience. Walk with you in love and adoration. Walk with you, God, as you've called me to. Jesus, wonderful name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Pass me not Oh, gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do Let 
set me at thy throne of mercy find a sweet Contrition, help my unbelief. Somewhat of, the, somewhat of the same message in both the Sunday school and in this service. That we have to be prepared, that it's up to us. That we have to get rid of the idols. Even though we are in the church, we are in the banquet hall. But it's up to us. Brother, sister, I can't get rid of that idol for you. I can't take away that pride for you. I can't take away the bitterness. I can't take away the gossip. I can't take away just the same as you can't take the same from me. It's a personal decision. It's a personal calling that we're receiving today. And I think I think I would be amiss if I didn't open up the altar and say that this is a personal calling for each of us, for each and every one of us to come before God and say, don't pass me by, but inspect me, Lord. Lord, if I have an idol that's, that's come between me and you, Lord, show it to me that I can get rid of it. If there's an idol that's come between me and my church family, Lord, show it to me that I can get rid of it. As we sing this again, can I invite everyone to come to the altar for, for an inspection? Lord, inspect my heart. Inspect my heart. Inspect my deeds. Inspect me. gentle Savior Hear my humble cry While on others Thou art calling Do not 
pass me by Savior Savior Hear my humble cry While on others thou art
give me his word today. Oh, I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for, for your message today. Lord, I pray, Lord, that it that your words would be written upon our hearts, Lord, that we not so easily forget, Lord, what you have spoken today, that we not easily forget, Lord, to set aside all of the idols in our life. Lord, that we may draw closer to you. Lord, that we may fulfill your will, that we may fulfill your ministry, that we may Fulfill your purpose. Jesus, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray. Lord, go with us this week. Protect us. Keep us in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.